listening to Omnis Protocol. I am Charles, also known as Omnis, and I'm here with Morgan Reed from Strike Better. What's going on, man? Charles, mate, it's good to be here, and uh, thanks for extending the invite and having me on. It's an honor to guest on your podcast. Well, I appreciate you making the time. I know we're in a very, very different time zone, but Jacob will be most pleased. He he has been saying that you and I should podcast together since I think he first started talking to you. He's been your biggest cheerleader, I promise you. Uh, I mean, I often imagine Jacob in cheerleading costumes, so I think that's that's good. I'm, I'm pleased to hear it, and uh, maybe it's just the different um, the different accents that that merge well together. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, sometimes I'll admit I struggled with Strike Better for a little bit when they're you know three different Australian accents. I'm like, I need to get used to who is who. I wish you guys would use each other's names more often, but now I'm I'm totally over it, and I'm loving Strike Better. Uh, it's, it's a good point. I mean, Trav and Jay, they're twins and they, they sound very similar. Um, when I first met them uh, many years ago now, it took me probably about two or three years to figure out who was who. Now I can identify them by sight and by sound, but uh, you're right, we, we do sound quite similar. We'll, we'll use names more. I like it. Good feedback. Yeah, that's something I think in general, a lot of podcasts, especially in some of the early episodes and stuff, I'm like, I wish you guys would use each other's names more often so I can teach me who is who. I want to I want to know who I'm listening to. Like, I want to associate like a personality with a voice and that sort of thing. But uh, I think it's got I think you guys have a great rhythm. And I love what all of you guys do with the show. I've been enjoying Strike Better a lot, especially since coming back. Great, great content. Well, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. The um, the lads work pretty hard on it, and Farmer does a, a great job on the editing. And yeah, we enjoy it, so it's a bit of fun, and it's good to see that if, if people get something out of it, that's great. That's a bonus. Perfect. Well, so uh, out of curiosity, how did um, how did the particular Strike Better crew end up happening? Because you got Farmer, who's West Coast like me, and then he's just like, let's record with these awesome Australians. Like, how did that how did that happen exactly? <laughs> Yeah, well, mate, it goes back to our X-Wing days. We're all, um, well, I'm now a former X-Wing player. Um, Farmer, I think, still plays. He's, he runs a massive X-Wing podcast. Um, and then Trav and Jay, they still play a little bit, but but not much. But anyway, we, we all met each other through X-Wing uh, years ago. We went over to, uh, Trav, Jay, and I went over to the States, to Roseville, Minnesota, for Worlds in, I think I went in, I went in 2014 and then I went again in 2015. I think the lads came over in 2015 and we met sort of farmer over there and have sort of, uh, you know, been mates with him since and stayed in touch. We've been on his X-Wing podcast a bit. And then, um, when we all sort of got into Marvel, um, we kept badgering him to do a, a MCP podcast because there initially wasn't many. And, uh, we all sort of wanted to do it as a, as a group of mates. And then we sort of launched, I think we launched bizarrely about the same day as the danger room um which was just a, a really strange coincidence but since then there's been a, now a whole bunch of podcasts but yeah our, our backgrounds x-wing together and um you know groups are, a group of friends from across australia and across the world awesome yeah that's funny because that's the same year that i did the world team championship for war machine and hordes and i flew to poland that year and so oh, wow. like a month or so before you came to the u.s i went to poland for the first time and for listeners out there, if you ever have the opportunity to attend a big international event, it is a really unique feeling. And getting to like meet players from all over the world, it's it's so much fun. Like if you could ever do it, and like there's a year where you're like, I could make it happen this year, do it. It's worthwhile. I don't, is that kind of your experience? I don't know how the worlds for X Wing was, mate. Absolutely. Um, I think it's got to do with, I mean, for me personally, anyway, it's the passion for your hobby. 
Um, and so I, I loved X-Wing. I was, I was deep, deep in the X-Wing matrix um, and really enjoyed it. And so to be able to go to Worlds, I, I'd never considered it uh, until I'd won our national championship. And then as part of the FFG model, they would sponsor flights and accommodation national champions to go to Roseville, Minnesota and compete in the world champs. And so it never crossed my mind until I stumbled on winning our nationals and then realised it was free flights and accommodation. So once, um, you know, the financial side was taken care of, it's just a, you know, a long journey from Australia to the US, but the passion for the hobby was fantastic. And to go to the, the epicentre or the heart of the game and the, the developers and the home was something really special and probably one of the, the most enjoyable memories of my life, you know, to do with all things life, not just hobby. Um, I think a large part of that, though, I was also very fortunate on my first trip over, I, I did really well. And I think if I'd sort of gone over and bombed out, then it maybe wouldn't have been as enjoyable. I would have felt like a bit of a failure maybe. But um, I did really well. And I think when you do well, um, people then want to engage with you and speak to you and, and you know, learn more about you. And therefore, you can create a, a friendship group or a network. And so I was really lucky for a couple of reasons. One, to get to be able to go over and have it sort of financed by the company. But two, to do perform well, feel good about myself, you know, that, that self-esteem and ego, but then also have people who are like, oh, this guy did really well. Let's go and talk to him. Let's go have some beers and parties and, you know, made friendships like with Farmer and, and many other people. So very lucky. And, and I've loved well, both my trips to the States for, for X-Wing for different reasons, but absolutely, mate. If, if anyone who feels passionate about a hobby and is able, you know, can afford to and life circumstances allow to travel to big events, man, it's awesome. Perfect. So, I mean, I think this question may have already answered itself then, do you think that there is potential for international travel with a uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol? Man, I'd I love that. Um, it's, I, yeah, it would be great. I saw only a couple of days ago, I'm not sure if you saw it, uh, they, they did some interviews, it might have been on stream as well, with Schick. And were, I think one of the questions was around the organized play kits and then sort of a competitive OP format, similar to the old FFG model. And I think the answer yep. was, hey, we don't have a, a sort of a structure like that in mind. Which was, as a competitive player, I was disappointed to hear that. I was kind of hoping in the back of my mind that they might put up a, a competitive format where maybe there would be like a world style thing that you could go to. But, um, you know, I think the community can sort that out and we can probably run something similar anyway. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to do some international travel, you know, life permitting, um, to go and meet people from around the world that I've played online with on TTS and, and go and enjoy events. Because multiple of the AMG staffers came over from Privateer Press, both Schick and Dallas are definitely more on the hobby and design side of things. Do you think, though, that it's um, – I don't view a competitive format as exclu uh, mutually exclusive to a, you know, a more of a casual-focused game. I mean, do you think that you can have you know, uh, two lines of effort going for something like MCP? Absolutely, and I think that's part of why – so them having two – like. When I first met Dallas, he was just painting. And so it's great to have seen him go so far as like just he started off as this amazing painter um, that when I was actually when I very first heard of Dallas, I was pitching the concept to one of the guys who was running the blog that I was posting podcasts on. And I was like, why don't why we're practically a hobby blog? I have a strategy podcast, but there's no like painting podcast like maybe you should do it and so he started talking about it with dallas and that's when i first heard of him um but then you have like pagani on the absolute flip side where that same year when i went to poland he was on the other american team and so you have this like very high-end competitive player with a very competitive mindset 
you know, also working on the game. So I think, I think at its heart and core, it's totally fine that MCP can be both. And it's really easy, like much more so than other games, I think, to kind of switch off and just like, you know, I just want to try some of these other models that I've painted and just like play an interesting game. And then the next game be like, hey, man, I want to, can you put Wakanda Wave against me? I want to like see how my team does against it. Like it's so easy to do both. Oh, look, absolutely. And the other part of it, why I think they actually complement each other. I mean, apart from the fact that, it, you know, personally, I think you've, if you design a really tight rule set and balance competitively, it flows down to be an outstanding casual game. So I think they've they've got that mostly wide down, which is good. But the other part of it is I would love to see a sort of a dual stream in that um, have a competitive OP format uh, as well as maintaining, you know, the game night kits that they're doing. And that way from, you know, again, a competitive perspective, um, I can go to a casual game day or game night and play the fun lists because I know that there's a competitive format and I can take my death squads to those. Um, whereas at the moment, it's kind of like, well, we've got a game night kit that's supposed to be casual, but we're all sort of going to it. So we're all trying to want to do well and win. So I find that yeah. <laughs> piece a little awkward. Um, so I'd love to see the dual stream for that reason. Yes, for sure. Obviously, I think you and I see eye to eye on that. I would love, you know, I would love both, right? Because mm-hmm. it can be super fun to just sit down and do an ultimate encounter and try out a model that you just painted and just wanted to play. But then also I love the challenge of being like, oh man, this game is so incredibly, it's so incredibly tactical. Um, and at one point, um, again, because you didn't play War Machine and Hordes, the faction that I played and the faction that Pagani played were both very, very movement oriented and did a lot of pushing and like moving after attacking and that sort of thing. And when when I started playing MCP, I was like, oh man, this this feels like the sort of stuff that Pagani and I loved from War Machine and Hordes. And so it was like everything that I liked about it, but all the time. And so, yeah, just MCP is so good. So interesting. So many interesting, thought-provoking decisions every game. Absolutely. Uh, can't, Absolutely. can't say enough good things. What originally drew you kind of like from X-Wing to Marvel Crisis Protocol? How did that happen exactly? Mm. Um, well, as I said, I was probably deep in the X-Wing matrix for probably five or six years. And I, I probably got myself a little bit burnt out through my own fault. I'm a very competitive person, um, as many, many people are. Some are. Uh, my wife is certainly not. She's probably the most uncompetitive person I've met. Um, but I'm the opposite. I'm extremely competitive. <laughs> um, and so whatever I do, I want to win at it and I want to uh, do well. And so I played a lot of games and I, I got myself, I was finding myself too serious and I didn't like the person I was becoming when I was playing. Um, and also, I'm not sure your experience, but when you do well at something, um, and in X-Wing I found I, I painted a bit of a target on my back. So it was very hard to have casual pickup games because I'd find that people would want to play me and it was their shot to try and, um, you know, beat me and so they'll play their you know the most tough you know tournament squad and I'm just want to sort of throw down and occasionally on a, on a Monday night or something and it was it was just it stopped becoming fun um I suppose was the summary so I I stopped playing um and then I looked for another sort of hobby to take up and I one of my mates got me into Legion another FFG game which was good initially I liked it um I played that for a little bit but I found the games like the setup and the games took a little long uh, on the you know the six by four table or six by three whatever it was, pretty big game, and I found the play patterns were were, were just repetitive in that you could play. You know, I went to one 
a tournament and um, out of the six games I played, there was kind of six of the same setups and six of the ga- same sort of game plan executions, which was a bit dull on the tactical side for me. And then about that time when I was sort of questioning if I really liked Legion, um, you know, MCP was released and one of my mates sort of grabbed it and uh, we had a few games and I thought it was okay, probably for the first five or ten games. I wasn't in love with it. I thought, oh, you know, it's just a core set stuff. Um, but then after about ten games, it sort of clicked. I think the depth of tactical decision-making started to click for me and then I sort of had my eyes open to roster building, counter picks, crisis selections, all of those things. And that's when I really fell in love with the game and took it up in earnest and it's only got better and better with every new release. But that's probably a long-winded story of how I went from X-Wing to Legion to... MCP and my love of three by three skirmish games. Nope. Makes perfect sense. And I, I know exactly what you mean. The, I, I got to the same, when I played my first game of MCP, I stepped back and I was like, wait a minute, how long has it been since I've actually enjoyed the prior game that I was playing? Like, I felt like I got too serious with it. And it's exactly as you said, you, I, as a podcaster and a player, I also felt like I was constantly in a position of needing to prove myself and I had weird situations where I'd like fly to some other place and then like go into a game store for the first time. And then I'm meeting people and then I have like store owners and stuff be like, Hey, see that guy over there. He is such a dick to everyone. He thinks he's such King shit. Could you wreck him? Like, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like we, we want to put in his place. And I'm like, this is, I really, we're having this conversation. I'm surprised yeah. how often that happened. Hey, weird, weird stuff. It is. And look, as I said, though, I think most of it was my own fault um, and, and just the way I, I probably took it a little bit too seriously. Uh, if I was a, if I was a probably a better person and less competitive, I could have graciously um, let people uh, slay me <laughs> with their death squads like <laughs> casual squads. But um, I like uh, meeting fire with fire. So anyway, yeah, I think we're aligned there. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. Um... Well, I think I can speak for everyone that we're glad that MCP drew you in. You've been a very interesting player to both watch your games and like hear some of your feedback and stuff on, you know, on the different models and team designs. So speaking of uh, designing rosters, how much of your strategy when you go to put together a roster is based on like the internal synergy of the characters and the affiliation and how much of it is, you are like, I need to make sure I have an answer to sand spam or to you know, Corvus in reality and Proxima, like how much are the counter picks versus the internal synergies playing into your design? Man, that's a, that's a really good question, actually, um, for a number of reasons. I, I think that um, it jumps out at me as a good question because when I, from my experience, when I um, play a new affiliation, um, and I like playing a new affiliation once I've I felt like, not mastered, but once I felt like I've, I've done the best I can with an affiliation. I'd like to move on and learn a new challenge. That's part of the enjoyment for me. I know some people just enjoy playing the same thing over and over, and that's fine. But I always enjoy playing new affiliations once I've sort of, you know, call it a TTS season or whatever. But um, when I first pick up an affiliation, I'll focus initially on their internal synergies because what I'm trying to do is figure out um, the models and the, the rosters sometimes sound silly, but they try and speak to you. They try and tell you what they're wanting to do. And you need to play, you need to get reps in to figure out what they're trying to do. You know, do they want to be extract focused? Do they want to be secure focused? Do they want to be wide on a crisis? Do they want to be quite narrow and, and condensed? Do they want attrition? All of this or control, all of this sort of stuff. So I, I focus on internal synergy initially and try to figure out 
what the character pairings are, what the skeleton of the roster is and the affiliation, and then what characters sort of do that synergy with that affiliation. You know, a great and obvious example is Valkyrie in Magneto's leadership in Brotherhood in that she can do a turn one throw, uh, to throw terrain into terrain to generate potentially, let's call it, four power for her team. So that's a you know, pretty much an internal synergy. Um, you could argue it's out of affiliation, but I think it's the internal synergy with the, the leadership and the squad. So that's the first part I'll focus yes, on. I agree with you there. Yeah, and so I think initially I want to get that right and and be comfortable that I understand what the squad's trying to do or what, what my roster's trying to do. And then once I've sort of figured that part out, it kind of the, the takeaway from that is you'll end up with probably, let's call it between one and four character slots left over in your roster that you don't really know what to do with. You're like, well, I've got my synergies figured out. I know basically the game plan I want to do and I know what characters go into it. So now the second part is, well, the countering the other teams, I want to bring in characters that can mitigate the bad matchups. I think there's very few actual direct counters in this game, but I think there's some great characters that can mitigate um, bad matchups, be it Crisis or other characters. So generally, first part is internal synergy. Once I'm happy with that, I'll then switch to, okay, who do I now bring in to mitigate the bad matchups? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes that seems like a perfectly reasonable way to go about it. And I agree. It's something like... Even when you're picking an unaffiliated thing like Valkyrie, that's still playing into the internal synergy. But then say we were like, okay, well, I want to include Iron Fist, who has no direct synergy. You know, he has no throws, but I need some characters that also generate extra power because I'm concerned about my matchup on Sword if someone tries to force that on me, that sort of thing. So I think you you hit all of that perfectly on the head. Do you... When you're going into your team design and your roster design, do you have different plans based on whether you have priority or don't have priority? Like, do you do you ever totally change up? Like, I'm going to play a totally different sort of team if I don't have priority. Yeah. Uh, hmm. This is a tough one. Uh, generally, yes, but I'll caveat with it depends on the roster I'm running. Um, so another good example, I think, is, well, in fact, the current example is I'm playing Sam Wilson Avengers in TTS Season 6 right now. Um, my splash characters are quite different. I've got Hulkbuster, Angela, Enchantress, and Lizard. Um, and you, you think about those characters, and they each sort of do almost completely different things. Um, but what I'll do is, based on priority, if I've got priority and get you know, the extract that I want, I might go for a different squad that's based on Angela and Enchantress to try and get three hammers in round one if I'm playing, you know, the hammers crisis. And so it becomes an aggressive extract crisis, uh, extract focus um, roster. Whereas if I don't have priority, I might play something like Terrigen Mists, the secure, um, which I can run then seven wide with Enchantress and look at extra control and so I can win the the uh, sort of the secure battle. So it does, um, depending on what roster you're playing at the moment, absolutely it changes what I do. Priority I train to be either aggressive on extracts or look more at attrition. If I don't have priority, I tend to be more control orientated in my build. Okay, makes sense. Um, would you say for something like when you were playing Black Order, was it still that way or did you kind of just almost play the same team, same style team as just more the threat level? I think Blackwater are one of the, the rare affiliations where you can just execute your game plan regardless of what's in front of you. Um, so, you know, if you get priority, you can go for your extracts if you want it. 
Um, if your opponent gets the extracts, you can force something like demons on them. So you're always kind of playing the same game plan of attrition to gain board state advantage late game, um, where you can overwhelm their dwindling numbers with VPs. Okay. Unplanned question. Was there ever anything that you ran into while you were playing Black Order that made you feel like you couldn't just play the same game plan? Like, was there any... Because obviously Black Order has this weird ability, like, I want priority, and I will always have priority if I want it, barring very, very weird situations. But I'm curious now if you ever ran into something that did make it feel like you had to adjust the plan pretty significantly. Yeah, I found probably Wakanda was my hardest matchup. Um, I didn't lose too many games with Black Order, but against good Wakanda players, um, and Esmond, who I lost to in the, the Season 3 final, is a very good Wakanda player. Um, but I did lose um, probably I was around 50-50 against Wakanda. Um, I think some of that probably has to do with my roster at the time. I was sort of running no time gem, and I, I wasn't you know, I wasn't practising it, nor was I aware of how powerful it was back in Season 3. This is when they first released um, and I think the, the two-action Thanos really got punished by, you know, Black Panther pushes, Shuri pushes, um, and things like that. So that's what I, I found hard to execute the, the violence game plans of Wakanda because of the Okoye bodyguard, the Black Panther, you know, vibranium armor, and Shuri pushes. So that was probably one um, that I struggled on. All right. Makes sense. Okay. So... We've kind of mentioned some of these, you know, big, <laughs> big threats, the Black the black Order, um, the Wakanda. Um, aside from what's strongest, what do you think is the most well-designed affiliation? Like, so, like strong and competitive, but you probably wouldn't change anything about them if you're going through and doing adjustments of affiliations to bring things up and down. Ooh, there's a few choices here, but... For my mind, Brotherhood. I think Brotherhood are exceptionally well-designed, um, and I think that's off a couple of things. The first thing is um, the spread of character threats. You've got Toad at two, um, then you've got your, your three, four, five options, and then you cap out at the moment with Magneto at six. Um, so that's a really good spread of characters. Um, so when you know if you're designing an affiliation, you're giving players choice on how they want to scale their core or their skeleton. Um, and the other beautiful thing about it is um, they've got two leaders and both of those leaders are legitimate and worthwhile playing in Mystique and Magneto. And you can take your leader and, and put your leader in the appropriate you know, situation based on your uh, affiliation matchup uh, and also your crisis selection. So I think that's great. And it allows players the choice then to scale going quite narrow and attrition focused with Magneto um, to maybe you know, really wide with Mystique. And so I love that AMG have offered an affiliation design that has all of those options. So the more options you have for a player, I think the better. Um, and they've also got some great team tactics cards. So personally, I, you know, I, I kind of rate Brotherhood as upper mid-tier. Um, they can do very well, and they have done very well. They've made finals a couple of times in, in TTS and, and could well have won. Um, so I think they're a great affiliation. Um, I probably wouldn't change any of their characters, apart from give Sabretooth a bit of a buff. But, you know, I think they're all very well balanced and, and just really, really good design from AMG. But I don't know. How do you feel about Brotherhood? Um, I think I agree with that sentiment, especially with the addition of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. They've got just a like a really, really strong variety. And I'm wondering how much of that is kind of accidental. In the, when What I mean by that is I don't think we give AMG enough credit that 
they they they're in a spot where they're not creating characters from scratch. So there's some expectations about what Wolverine is going to be like on a table, what Spider-Man is going to be like on a table. And so you have to design this individual character to feel like what people want. But then you've also got to think about the overall spread of various threat levels within an affiliation. And Brotherhood just kind of accidentally has a great spread. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm really curious to see if Rogue is Brotherhood. Um, You know, I've said a few times previously in different places that I think they're really missing a genuine four who who can be a reliable workhorse. And, you know, my personal view is that Sabretooth's the lightweight in Brotherhood at the moment. Um, He just doesn't pull his weight for threat generally. Some scenarios he does. Um, So if Rogue was um, Brotherhood affiliated, and that's a really, really strong play for Brotherhood, and that shores up, I think, their biggest weakness at the moment. Yep. I, I mean, I think I agree with that as well. So both Sabretooth and Wolverine, it's hard to design fours. I feel like fours are either like, eh, or it's like, Jesus, that four can do what? <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. But I mean, it'd be hard, mate. I mean, designing characters and, and AMG, you know, the rate they've pumped them out, um, you know, you've only got a limited time to probably do your concepts. You've got a limited time to play test them and you've just got to get it probably 80 to 90% right, um, which I think they do. So I feel for them to, you know, um, get stuff right, and it's good to see them coming back and doing little errata tweaks with the new releases. But, yeah, Sabretooth and Wolverine probably could be a little bit better. Yeah, I do. I functionally like their their tactics cards and stuff. They gave them some really interesting cards. I love exceptional healing and how it's, like, not tied to a specific character. It's like, hey, do you have healing factor? You can use this card. Uh, love that. Like, I almost wish there was more cards like that. Do you have flight? You can use this card, like that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Some stuff that's moderately restricted, but not, uh, not just. It's funny because some characters feel like one of their superpowers on their card should have been a team tactics card. Let's call it, you know, Enchantress's uh, Amora's Kiss of stealing an extract. You know, maybe that's a team tactics card instead of written on her character card. And maybe for Sabretooth, um, and Wolverine, that uh, was it Weapon X, where they pounce, um, they, they throw themselves. You know, maybe that should have been on their yep. character card. Maybe that was the difference they needed to be better characters. Yep, agreed. I think I just said almost the same thing a day or two ago in one of the chats where I was like, especially when you look at like Quicksilver and stuff, why is Amora's Kiss like a superpower and not a tactics card? Because I think if you looked at that card, like you looked at that superpower as a tactics card for any decent character, you'd be like, I'm taking that. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives more flavor um, with 10 tactics cards coming out. gives players more choice. Yeah. So they don't need much more, but they just need a little bit more to be a bit better. Yep. Agreed. All right. So we're talking about the, the kind of the cusp of these, these changes, the, the, I've heard Norbert call it a soft reboot. You know, we're getting some errata on characters. Um, When you start, practicing with some of these changes maybe new cap or new hulk do you have any specific strategies when it comes to testing the new cards do you test a bunch all at once do you try to just put in one of the changes at a time so you can kind of get a feel for that without it impacting um how you feel about a different new character something like that yeah i've tried a a couple of ways of doing i'll be curious to get your thoughts on how you do it after this but i've tried like, for example, Convocation, just put them all on the table, all their cards, and just stare at it in analysis paralysis for 30 minutes trying to do a move because you have no idea what they do. Um, and I found that way didn't work for me. 
So what I'll try and do now is I'll try and supplement one new character uh, into an existing roster or an existing squad that I'm really familiar with. And so therefore I know how my squad functions and what roles um, each of my characters play. Then I bring in the one new character and I go, okay, uh, I now know how you kind of contribute to the team's success here. Let's see how you go and execute it. You know, And I'm looking for... You know, does the character complement the internal synergies? Um, what are some sort of useful rules or superpowers or, you know, attacks, whatever, that might not just be good here but can be good and broadly ap- applicable to other situations? And I'll try and do that. I'll supplement in sort of one character and one card at a time, and that way I can have a good understanding of how I think it fits into the bigger picture and and uh, I'm so familiar with the others that I don't need to devote brain power to my existing squad, and I can sort of commit it all to looking at the new piece, which normally gets one shot, you know, the, new, the shiny new model syndrome, as we're all familiar with in Wargaming. But, I mean, that's that's the way I approach it. I'm really keen to hear how you do it. Well, uh, it's going to be very easy because that's how I do it. <laughs> it's a setup. <laughs> I found... Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically almost exactly what what you said. I, I have found if I try to put in too many of the new things, then I end up not really feeling like I got a good enough experience with some part of it anyway. And so I find I much prefer when I'm like, all right, I'm going to take something that I, I feel like I understand how it works and I understand all the models and I'm going to work in, you know, like one new model and but try to like integrate them into the game plan and then see what I think about them. And so I can come out of and go, Oh, they just weren't right for this game plan or they were great for this game plan. I want to try more of this. Um, I've broken that rule a little bit coming back after my long hiatus. Cause I have a lot of models to start playing, but that is my, my preference. Yeah. Right. And do you find that you try and bring in a similar model that will play a similar role or are you happy just to go, Hey, you know what? In my current squad, I'd normally run a four thread of, you know, whoever, let's call it Enchantress because she's really good, and just swap her, do a straight swap with whatever new four threat there is just to see how it fits in? Or do you try and make it a similar character, like a, a voodoo for Enchantress's example? I think they play a somewhat similar role. Yeah, I think it tends to be similar. Now, I think Wakanda can be a little bit different. When you're playing Wakanda, I feel like you could almost put in any character into their other multiple slots because they have such potential for offensive output with access to the rerolls, mm-hmm. but then also access to a kind of scenario displacement game that some affiliations, it feels like you can splash just about whatever. But in a lot of other cases, like say, uh, I've been playing a lot of spider flows the last week or so, um, kind of testing out new goblin. And I just like, shuffle on every game i try to like stick in a character i haven't tried with them just to keep moving but i feel like with that i can try just about anything because i feel like they have this kind of mixed like above average damage output and then like medium medium plus displacement like um and so they don't they could run just about anything yeah, they're really. also very fast. So sometimes I'm just like, oh, let me, let me, I want to try Quicksilver in this. I'm already running such a fast team when your whole team is so mobile. You know, with those medium moves plus 50 millimeter bases, you're like, well, these guys are fast. Maybe I'll try other fast characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've got spider foes. They've been on my test bench for a while, just awaiting the right time for me to start playing them. Who, who's your favorite spider foes character so far to play? I mean, I think the easy answer would be Lizard. I feel like I could play Lizard in just about everything. And I do feel like he really starts singing in Spider-Foes because suddenly, 
you know, you kind of want to make attacks. It builds up his power a bit more. Um, with that said, honestly, now that Goblin has the buff, I it has brought me way back into the well-laid plans like Dojo, where suddenly I'm like, this card is really good. And I got to figure out whether, like, exactly how it functions and when you take it. And so I feel like right now it's all about the Green Goblin, Doc Ock, well-laid plans, and then what what happens from there. That's cool. I, I um, Doc Ock, I think, is a really good character. Um, I don't play him and I don't like him because I just he's one of the very few models in MCP. I just don't like the model at all, and it's very uninspiring. Apologies to the sculptors if they're listening. But um, I love the new rivals, you know, the new Peter Parker versus Doc Ock. That model is outstanding, and I'm very keen to get that because I want to play Doc Ock and I want to love the model, and I do love that new model, and that will make me put him more on the table. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I think overall Doc is very solid. Um, I know Jacob... You know, Xavier Protocols back in the day, that was his go-to fifth character for a Wakanda wave. Um, but he's one, he's one of the model, he's one of the characters that I have painted the model and then I have painted over it because it <laughs> still just doesn't quite look right. Yeah. And maybe that's the model more than my paint job, but also I don't think I paint green particularly well. So it's like the green Doc Ock, the green Hulk. There's just been a few characters. I'm like, man, I just can't seem to get this character right. But uh I'm I'm in the same spot. I'm ready. I'm excited for that uh, Spider-Man Ock box because um, I think Spider Foes is, is going to be one of those affiliations that I pro- probably have a roster for them all the time. Yeah, they, they look pretty cool. Maybe not my favorite, I, but I, we'll always have it. I really enjoy playing against Spider Foes. They're one of the, the few affiliations I genuinely enjoy playing against, and they're just so random with their you know sinister traps and um, you know well-laid plans and... Yeah, I think they're a fantastic affiliation and there's always something different going on. Um, There's always some big threat looming over your head that they can do, which is really, really cool and exciting when you're playing. I really, I really, really like when my core team is something like Goblin, Ock, and Lizard, where I start off with three characters that are all 50 millimeter bases with medium moves. So it means Mm. I'm immediately in a position that I have all three of my characters could take cubes on my opponent's side of the board. And I love when I have two characters that can do it, let alone three. But the fact I can start with three affiliated characters that all give me the potential to not just go, Oh, I'm going to play the traditional secure plan, or I'm going to play an offensive plan or I can also make bold extract plays with every character and like force my opponent to think about that. Like I've got, I've got Auk on this side, Goblin over here, Lizard over here, brought in like Quicksilver and Voodoo. So my whole team could go after your extracts. That's what cool. do you want to do? Yeah. And it feels like, uh, man, like Lizard on Cosmic Cubes, I feel like Cosmic Cubes is designed for Lizard. He just loves holding a cube. Yeah. It's, it's his jam. Well, and with access to excessive healing, he is like one of the best characters to be like, yeah, I'm just going to move on to your side of the table. Let's see what happens. Yep. See see if your dice bless you with taking me down. And yeah, even if they do, power. I was yeah. three threat. <laughs> generate the power, heal it back up, the damage, fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, I think just, they're, they're a blast. All right, so we've talked a bit about rosters. We've talked a bit about team design. I want to talk a little bit about... Um, the difference between 
tournament games and non-tournament games? Because we mentioned like sometimes you just want to play a casual game. I was curious how often when you're playing something that's not one of your TTS games or like for the TTS leagues, do you generally just like, hey, let's just like roll dice and play it out? Or do you find that you're talking with your opponents and kind of go, ooh, like you could do this right now or this. And like you guys are feel like you're constantly talking about the different things you can do. Or do you do a little bit of all? Yeah, it's a, another good question, actually. Um, it's mostly based on my opponent. Um, and my personal preference is I like doing um, challenging games. And I'm not huge on just the sort of casual laughing, hey, here's a thematic squad. Like I've got other things that I enjoy doing for recreation. Um, I enjoy this game because it's um, the competitive side of this. I find it's a little bit like mindfulness. It's a, it's um, it's really quite relaxing. Um, and so I enjoy that aspect. And so, you know, it's a, a long-winded way of me saying that um, it depends on my opponent. So, for example, my regular sparring partner um, is Phil or Reef on Discord. He lives about two minutes from my house. We play a lot. And we mostly play competitive-focused games where we won't do a lot of talking around what we could do on moves. What we'll generally do is do some retrospective um, discussion after an activation to say, yeah, okay, I could have done X, Y, Z better. Or he might give me some advice and say, hey, look, I, I don't think that was your optimal move for the following reasons. And that way it allows each player to think through and use their own sort of mental processes on how they approach an activation. And then you can do some immediate feedback after um, as opposed to sort of coaching each other pre and so that works with two experienced players, and I enjoy that aspect of playing. But, um, you know, I've got a, another really good mate of mine who lives close by. He's coming around this afternoon after this podcast, and he's an uber casual player. And so with him, um, I'll play virtually. I'll get him to pick my squad or my roster, and we'll play a far more thematic and enjoyable game. But that's based on us having a social interaction and, and having a you know a coffee or a tea and, and having a bit of a chat throughout the day um, as opposed to practicing for an event. So I'll just tailor how I approach it based on the audience and what my opponent wants to get out of the game. Perfect. I mean, I think that's that fits really well with MCP in general. And I, I like the fact that you and I, I would describe both of us as very competitive-minded players, but it's interesting how easy it is to enjoy this game even when you're stepping back and you're like, I still like just putting the models on the table and seeing what they do and seeing what happens. And I don't know, also helps make it easy to podcast about where I'm like, eh, I may not be excited to play this affiliation a ton, but I can still put them on the table and have some fun with them. Not well, going to be my favorite, but absolutely. I mean, you know, the enjoyment side of this, we spoke about, you know, I quite enjoy the mindfulness aspect of, of going deep in the matrix in a game. And I find that quite relaxing, but the, um, the social aspect of the game is, you know, when I say casual in my mind, I frame it as it's a social it's a social interaction with a friend or multiple friends. So instead of going down to the pub and having a couple of beers or doing whatever, uh, we might choose a forum to play some casual MCP today. Um, and we're just sort of catching up. We haven't seen each other for a while, been in lockdown. And so sort of rolling dice and moving models around is the side issue as we're just sort of catching up. And so, you know, like anything, I think it's just communication between players pre-game about what you want to both get out of it, especially if you don't really know each other that well. Um, but then, you know, if you do know each other quite well, you just frame it, okay, what are we doing today? You want to do funsies or you want to do some some tournament death squads? Um, and that's an important aspect, I think, of aligning two players and player experiences. There seems to be a lot of friction when there's um, between the casual and competitive side when they clash or collide and they don't discuss what they want to get out of the game. 
I agree. And I, I even have days where if I'm on the third game of the day and we've played through some really, really tough games, I'll be like, all right, I'm up for another game, but I'm just going to roll some crazy dice stuff. Like I need a team that's not going to drain my brain anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's, I think it's totally okay when you hit that point, let your opponent know and be like, Hey guys, I think, I think what we're doing this next one, this is going to be a little bit sillier. I can't, I can't handle another Wakanda level push game i'm gonna i'm gonna lose my shit yep absolutely all right so um i was curious speaking of examining games um with how many games of yours that you've had recorded and streamed do you ever go back and watch your own games to find you know retrospective thoughts on them or do you kind of like hey that game's done i i think about it but i'm not going to go watch myself yeah i generally the games that have been recorded where I've lost are the ones that I'll go back and watch, you know, one or two times again, depending on how, how hard I felt the loss. Generally, the games where I win, I find that I don't get much out of it um, because, you know, MCP, as we all know, is a very, probably the most variance-heavy game I've ever played, certainly. But, you know, you can make bad decisions and dice will make them look good and you can make really good decisions and dice will make them look bad. And so I found when I've won, normally I've got had a little bit of the luck go my way. Um, and the games that I've lost, I feel like when I'm playing that maybe the luck didn't go my way. Uh, and therefore I'll, I'll prefer reference to watch those games I've lost back to actually try and, you know, once the emotion has died down and the sadness of, of losing, so I'm very bitter, I'm a very bad loser. Um, once that's died down, I then look at it and go, okay, was it dice or where did I make mistakes? And normally you can pick up a few things that you could have done better. Sometimes it is just dice. That's just that's just the nature of the game. But uh, generally, I can get some really good feedback on. Okay, I rushed this activation, or I did this approach wrong. You know, maybe a turn or two prior, a round or two prior, I I, I wasn't sort of heading the right direction or going for the right theme. You know, to, to victory. And so I'll try and pick up those things. And so I'll, you know, long story short, I'll try and watch games uh, that I've lost to see where I could have done better. And the games that I've won, I generally don't get much out of. Yeah, I mean that makes that makes perfect sense. I I was surprised how often when I was going back and like editing video of my games where I'm either I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like I got really tunnel visioned here. Like I literally had this entirely different route to win this game, and I was so focused on killing this character that I didn't need to kill. And yeah, it's there's a lot of interesting decision making points. So compared to, I don't know if you guys recorded as many games in in x-wing but it just feels like we in general have a lot of access to video recording stuff now and the tts streaming it's a lot easier to like actually see your games and it's i don't provide some really interesting um interesting after the fact knowledge mate i agree and i think the technology has come a long way in a short period of time i mean x-wing used to be on vassal um, which used to have to download a sort of a i think it was a vlog file and then sort of hit some weird We'd, you know, control F to fast forward a, a game on this 2D moves. So you could rewatch games like that, which was actually really helpful. Um, but then they've got now it on TTS and, and I've not watched X-Wing on there, but, you know, TTS for, for Marvel is good. It's just slow. Um, and there's been some really good edits of games, which I really enjoy. I think, um, is it Vincent Kirkhoff who does a few of the run the length where he does the abbreviated battle reports? Have you seen those? Um, I do not think I've watched those yet. That's. I'd recommend having a look at those. Um, he's he's only got a couple on there, but it's a game in about sort of ten to fifteen minutes, um, and that's a much more digestible format because you know watching 
full-length games for an hour and a half, two hours, even with commentaries, is pretty dull. I find, personally, some people love it, but I don't. So I like sort of fast-forwarding through and just seeing the, the key decision points for the players. But, yeah, um, I think there's much more access now to, to watching games than there used to be, certainly. Perfect. So um, at a certain point, I remember some players were kind of praising Battle Realm and other people said that they hate it. And now we've seen people experimenting with like the three box challenge format. Um, and I was just kind of curious at this point, if you have a, a favorite format of MCP. Yeah, look, I probably, I do really enjoy Battle Realm and whether I enjoy it because I think it's a superior uh, mechanics and format or whether I enjoy it because it's different to the standard, I don't quite know. Um, I think um, Battle Realm is probably 80 to 90% there in terms of, you know, from my perspective, and it's, you know, it's it's contentious as we saw in a whole bunch of discussion recently. I think the format is great for competitive Marvel. Um, if you're comfortable with not being able to have set plays and not be able to have set characters um, to do exactly what you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it, why you want to do it, I like the little bit of chaos that it brings and a little bit of the flexibility it brings. Um, you know, I don't think Battle Realms has had a good shake of the stick yet in terms of, um, you know, people playing it for a duration. We had one little event that Jacob ran and the, the rosters seemed quite similar at the top end or, in fact, across you know, all the people who played. I think it was only eight people. But um, that might be a case of, you know, the available uh, combinations and synergies at the time. And as the game expands, we might see Battle Realm be, a, a, you know, much more... Um, supportive format to an enjoyable um, competitive game. But again, a long way of me saying that I really enjoy the Battle Realm format, um, but I prefer playing the the format that is, I suppose, the competitive format. Now, if that competitive format went to Battle Realms, I would enjoy that more. But if it's, you know, right now it's standard, so therefore I'll play standard because that's what the competitive format is. So, you know, whether I enjoy Battle Realms just because it's a bit different um, or not, I, I don't know, but I like playing Marvel. Um, what I'm really keen on, and actually want to ask you, is separation anxiety. We haven't got that in Australia. I've been trying to source it from the US. But um, have you played much of that? And how good is it if you have? I have not had a chance to play it yet. Um, but there is a there is a Seattle store that's running a separation anxiety event, I think, next weekend. And I am currently planning to go to that and experience it. It does potentially look like it may be the most fun of the like ultimate encounters. Yeah, it looks cool that you can do multiplayer. I mean, I found, uh, I'm not sure what your experience has been, but I found on the ultimate encounters, the burden of learning the rules is quite heavy when you're just trying to sort of throw together a three-player game. And I found it's a little bit dull for the, you know, the, the Hulk or the Ultron or the whoever player. He's only got to kind of got one thing to do and it takes a long time for his turn to come around. So I like the concept um of the separation anxiety where it looks a lot more uh, even and dynamic across the, the players. So very keen to get my hands on it and, and get some games in on it. Well, I'll be interested to hear what your, what your thoughts end up being when you finally get a chance to try that out. I, I forget which I was listening to a podcast that was going over their experiences with it and it sounded awesome. Like, yeah, I will admit yeah. not all the ultimate encounters are seem to draw me in that much, but this one certainly does. Do you, have you played many of the ultimate encounters? I have not. Um, I had meant to back at uh, back at LVO. Um, Pagani was talking about running an ultimate encounter, and then scheduling just didn't work out. Um, and then COVID hit, and 
with the limited games, I'd say I've mostly played uh, just totally normal games. Yeah, that's fair. It's probably one of those things, I think, the ultimate encounters that you need almost a – what are they called in D- – I don't play D&D, but I've got mates that do a dungeon master or a game master or something, someone who knows yes. the, all the rules. Um, I think you need one of those people who knows the ultimate encounter rules inside out and to sort of run the game. Whereas I've found when I've played them, it's kind of the three of us sort of stumbling through rule books going, oh, I don't really know what's happening, and I don't enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Okay. Um, so following this uh, this format conversation, if there was, say, like a convention that you're potentially traveling to, and so you're going to cross the water or whatever, and there's going to be multiple multiple tournaments that kind of lead into a larger like Sunday event or that sort of thing. This was very common in War Machine. I don't know if you had that in X-Wing, but where maybe like Friday there would be one event, and then Saturday there would be an like the normal format and, but both of those events took like the top eight or something and it fed into a top 16 for Sunday. Do you have a preference of what sort of formats those would be? Obviously probably one of the days at least would be the standard format. Would you want two of the standard, one battle realm, one normal, like what would be your preference? Yeah, right. So I think if you, if we went to an event and there were, you know, sort of two, if it wasn't pools, so X-Wing, we used to have so many players that you'd have to run multiple pools um, to feed into, I suppose, the, the top cut for a Worlds. But if it was just, hey, multiple events feeding into the main event and you didn't have to run the same format, um, I'd, I'd go with one Battle Realm and one Standard. I mean, I think um, I think both are really good and I think uh, both are really enjoyable and it gives players choice to, to choose the one that they enjoy more or think they've got better advantage at. Well, you can do both, but I suppose if you qualify on the first one, you don't necessarily have to do the second one. You could, you know, drink a lot. You know, you are traveling. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you feel then that Battle Realm has enough variety in, like, the different affiliations and stuff that can do well um, to make it, uh, you know, a good competitive format right now, or do you think it still needs a little bit more? Look, I do. I'm... I'm uh... I'm a proponent that I think Battle Realms has enough variety and player choice that you don't have to play. I mean, I think one of the sort of the themes or the discussion themes people got out of, you know, Jacob's mini event of eight players and eight rosters is that they seemed quite similar. I think it was Wakanda A-Force and the, what's it, Asgard? I can't quite remember. But, you know, they've got some overlapping affiliation characters there. Um, I don't think you need to play that to be competitive in Battle Realms, and nor do I think the community, um, the competitive community has that I'm aware of, um, has given Battle Realms a legitimate go for a longer period of time than one eight-person event. Um, and I think, uh, like anything, um, metas will shift and choices will evolve, but the depth of characters is there, I think, for most affiliations and potentially with the new releases that are coming out, it's going to be even better, especially for, you know, another big, you know, detractor was Blackwater was near impossible to play in the in the method that people want to play Blackwater with certain gems on certain characters. But, uh, no, I do. I think Battle Realms is, is really good competitive format. Um, I'm prepared to not play with the characters that I want and my opponent to dismiss them, and I'm prepared to have the random crisis part of it. And that's part of the challenge for me is that I think it uh, removes all the highly rehearsed, and practiced optimal round one crisis plays um, and it adds a little bit of chaos into how you need to, to do things. And I think it rewards good, well-rounded, balanced, experienced players. 
and that's what I enjoy the aspect of Battle Realms for, and that's why I think, um, well, I hope in future that it um, it gets looked at a bit more. That seems fair. Um, on that note, this wasn't a planned question, but I think um, you and I are a little bit similar in the sense of we want to be very, very well versed and kind of almost kind of ready for any situation. But then there are other players that are very much like, I want to put a ridiculous amount of practice into a particular thing and like kind of rehearse it. And they're not going to do nearly as much improvisation. Um, I don't want to like throw anyone's name out, but I do remember recently hearing a very top end player describe themselves this way. Um, Do you think that battle round tends to, do you think it's possible that battle realm maybe um, isn't as strong of a format for those kind of players that, just do want to rehearse like a specific roster and specific game plans. Do you think it kind of hurts them? Yeah, I do. Um, I think that's a, an astute observation. Um, and that's part of the reason why I enjoy it because I find a lot of those, you know, round one set plays mostly focused around extracts. Um, but you know, there's some great examples, Wakanda wave, um, you know, the panic um, plays with Thanos, um, you know, the legacy. There's a whole bunch of horrible legacy plays right now, but thankfully the competitive scene is choosing not to play, especially around Damamu um, on legacy virus. So uh, those style of round one sort of automatic setups I really dislike and I think detracts from, you know, the... I'm not huge on theme, but I think it detracts from what the designers are trying to do and the theme of the game in that... They're trying to emulate, you turn up to a random event and you've got to respond to it and solve the problem. And I find those round one set plays is kind of cheating the system a bit and just they feel a bit cheap. Um, and so I think that's what most of my most of my um, positivity towards Battle Realms is that I think it mitigates that and in some cases outright stops it to a large extent. And I think it, the game plays more like it should and it feels like it plays more like it should and it's a little bit random um, and you've got to try and adapt on the fly and you know but personally that's what I enjoy whereas I know others might have a huge fear of that and go well, hey you know I'm a very good set player I'm a very good planner I'm very good at measuring things specifically and if you know I've got my playbook sitting next to me and when this situation comes up I'll do x you know abc and it'll equal xyz um and so for them, that might be quite fearful to go into a situation where you can't do that anymore and you have to adapt on the fly. And so it's quite subjective based on the personality. But as I said, that's the aspect that I really enjoy about Marvel is when you start freestyling in-game and trying to trying to solve many problems as they appear. Yep, I cannot blame you for that. I think, I, I think there's a misconception in general about competitive players where I think most, most gamers at this point have had that game of Magic the Gathering with someone who literally only cares about winning. They do not like if they get a first turn combination and you do not get to do anything and they win, that's like, they are happy. And they, like, they enjoyed that game where, and so I think a lot of people will think about that and like associate that with the competitive gamer. Whereas I think for like you and I, and probably a lot of the other, you know, podcasters and such, that's not why we enjoy competitive gaming. Like the games that were a blowout are not actually a ton of fun. It's the game where you're like, I have got to find a way to solve this puzzle. It's mid turn three or mid turn four or something. And I'm like, how do I fix this? And then like managing to come up with a way and like keeping a game going, even if you don't win, but knowing that you like you, you, 
you were working on that puzzle. Um, I think that's what really draws us in. I think that's why I think you essentially, if I were to summarize, it seems like you're like, it seems like battle realm almost lends itself to creating more of those situations. Uh, I feel that way. Um, and that's what I enjoy about it. As I said earlier, I've said this a couple of times that I really enjoy competitive Marvel for the mindfulness aspect in that you can lose yourself in the game and be completely oblivious to what else is going on around you. Um, and I, I really enjoy that aspect. That's why I play the game. Um, and I find I, I get that when I'm playing other good competitive players. Um, and so I like those deep sort of challenging things that you just spoke about occurring mid-game. Uh, whereas when I turn up and see a round one combo, it's just a gear check of, okay, have I got something in my tool bag that I can stop them close to automatically winning the game? And that's I don't find that enjoyable at all, both in roster building preparation nor in execution of the game. I think that's just abusing some um, potentially oversights in game mechanics. But, yeah, no, I agree. I, that's why I like Battle Realms. And uh, I think that's a good summary, mate, um, from you. All right, perfect. Well, I think I'm going to wrap up the primary episode here. I do still have a few more questions for Morgan that will go into the Patreon bonus content. So anyone who is following me on Patreon, you get a little extra content. It's usually not quite a full episode. It's more like a half episode. So if you do want to subscribe on Patreon, it just ends up being a dollar per episode. But you can also go get more Morgan content at Strike Better. Um, I listen on both Anchor and Spotify, but you guys are basically everywhere, right? iTunes, like you can find all the major podcasting apps. Yeah, I, I think so. Like Pharma does a lot of that. Um, I know we're on iTunes because I mean, I've got Apple everything, so that's what I use. But um, we've got a website as well, you know, strikebetter.com or whatever it is. And you can, I think you can play it straight off the website, but I don't know. It's there. Um, you jump on our Facebook group, we'll, we'll steer you. We have the link up every fortnight when we release. Yeah, and you guys do articles as well. I was just reading the Sin article about um, kind of her strengths and whatnot. So you guys do more than just podcasts. You also have some occasional articles. Yeah, we do. We, we don't do a lot of articles. Um, we're all kind of busy people. But um, Adam Murgatroyd um, or Murgo uh, on Discord, he writes most of our articles. And he, he tries to get about one article a fortnight, um, which is not very consistent. Um, he's, he's pretty busy at work. But... Yeah, we fluctuate, but uh, it's worth checking out because I think the articles that we, we do produce are generally quite helpful um, depending on the topic for players. So I think they're worth looking at. There's many great articles out there, but, yeah, thanks for the plug. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I I love all of the contributions to the, you know, the community of Marvel Crisis Protocol. I love, like, new game, but there's just tons of passionate people writing articles, recording podcasts. I love how much stuff from the TTS leagues is getting streamed. I was just watching Pat and Jacob's game with Norbert and I think Huggy Bear doing commentary. Yep. 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 Uh, I'm I'm now just imagining Jacob playing that game in your cheerleader costume from your earlier comments in the day. So, yep. (laughs) I saw that. Yeah. I I mean, Uh, and I mean, I think that's the the perfect way to wrap up this primary episode. So again, Morgan, thank you so much for recording with me, man. It has been really interesting to pick your brain and get some of your thoughts on these different things. Mate, thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, I, I love talking MCP and I really enjoy your podcast. So I'm glad you're back and, and looking forward to, to more episodes. Perfect. Thanks, man. Well, I will end this with the most OP thing that you can do is think that Xavier Protocol is wearing a cheerleader out for every time you listen to his podcast. Support him. <laughs> <laughs>